From Port Huron, Michigan, I'm Tyler Moldovan. And I'm Shanna Renard, and this is Earthward. A podcast by Seed and Soul Society. Uh, today, we're going to be, it's a little impromptu episode today, um, but we're going to be talking about the stigmas around asking for helps, uh, help or uh, you know handouts from people, um, as well as some of the happenings that are going on in uh, the South Side. I know that the South Side Spring Fest is coming up. There seems to be stuff going on. Uh, the city recently purchased a vacant lot that has sat as a parking lot for God knows how long. Um, so lots of exciting things happening in the city. Oh, yeah. It's so, growing now. Right. <laughs> Naturally growing. Since the last episode, I know you've spoken with Eric and things like that. I don't think we've fil- filled people in necessarily on what's going on with our garden planning. Okay, so it's actually official. We have a lease now. It's been notarized. Um, it was written in the interest of both of uh, our organization and Eric Natsol as the uh, property owner mm-hmm. um, to work within, uh, I don't want to say essentially work without the confines of a strict lease. It's more or less um, how we've continued to uh, work together on goodwill and um, basically falling back on like city policy and things. So yeah, and in-kind donations and yeah. things like that. He, I know he's, he's suggested that he's going to, well, I think he's already got it on order, the fencing and things like that. He's going to put it up. Yeah, I actually drove by there oh, Friday and I was on the way to another job, so I I wasn't able to stop, but I saw Eric out there, and there was stakes in the ground, and he, I think he was plotting where the fence is actually going to go. That's exciting. Yeah. He's a man with a plan, and, uh, you know, famously gets it done, so I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. The next step, I just, uh, I made copies for all of us, and then what I'll be doing is sending all that information and some pictures over to the insurance agent and we'll have the added property covered as well. So it's just safe for us and right. safe for Eric. So it's awesome. Yeah. Make sure we get all of our bases covered. And then we have the patronicity fundraising campaign that is slowly happening behind the scenes as well. You know, we have to apply for a solicitation license for anything. If we're asking for donations above like 10 K is it, I think. Uh, I think it might actually only be like 5,000. Yeah. It's a really low limit. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on finishing up the filing our taxes for the year. Um, mm-hmm. Those actually aren't due till May, but it's just easier to get that sent Sorry. over to patronicity and the, and the applicant, or, right. or I'm sorry, the solicitation application. It's uh, easier to just have one piece of paper instead of all my weird spreadsheets. Yeah, exactly. and Start sending over, you know. Yeah. Matrix of uh, information. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, and I'm learning a lot about how to do that, both with Seed and Soul. And then, you know, I have my own company. So it's it, it's a lot of paperwork that, you know, sometimes I wish we just paid people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, can't we make this like slightly easier? <laughs> but I think going into uh, our next little uh talking point we can kind of have a conversation about stigmas around asking for help i know we host our hot soup giveaways and a lot of the times what we've had is you know people will come and they'll offer to put donations because they like what we're doing and as much as we appreciate those offers from people and like gladly we would take that because it helps us you know run our operation uh and make more soup for people but more broadly what we're trying to do and what is in our mission is people shouldn't feel guilty 
or there shouldn't be a stigma about asking for that help. And the way to remove that stigma, I think, is the universality of it is um, you don't have to have any qualifiers to come and get free soup from us. Um, And we prefer that you don't put any qualifiers when you come and get soup or, you know, you come and even stop by one of our events. Because if everyone's taking and, you know, enjoying the soup that we make and things like that, you know, we had a, you know, a homeless person that stopped by the soup giveaway. And when they saw the donation jar, that's, I know at the first two events, I don't even think we even put out a donation jar because we didn't want that to like, I like, I think we've had one out, but it's not like forefront of what's happening. It's just, it's out there. Yeah. Like, but if you feel so inclined. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we never say like, Oh, we're also taking do- donations. We don't, we don't do that. And I remember, I don't know if it was the last one or the one, I think it was two giveaways ago. Mm-hmm. There was a guy who came up, I think he might've been a lawyer or something. Oh, really? Or, well, I guess maybe not a lawyer because it was a Saturday, but he was definitely like dressed very well. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted to give a donation and he said, oh, I can't take the soup. I don't need it. And I'm like, that's not what this is. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely, I like the term hand up instead of hand out because right. I think people... Um, who are struggling in certain areas, like, and this is from a personal place in my life, I hated asking for help because I didn't want a handout. I pay my taxes, always have been able to do that. Like, I, right. I want to work, I, you know, and just sometimes ends didn't meet. So I also felt really degraded when I had to turn in, like, my bank statements. Right. God forbid I bought my kids, you know, like a birthday present or something. Well, why did you go here? I was always afraid of those, uh, that scrutiny. No, it's my money and I did what I needed to do with it to, you know, support my family and make sure everyone was in a good place. Right. And, and a lot of times, you know, single parents might be in a, in a really tight spot and have to pick and choose like, okay, well, you know, I can't pay my entire bill Mm -hmm. for, you know, like something stupid, like my cell phone. Can't pay that huge bill right now. But I get paid in two weeks, so I'll pay the whole thing then. But I have this 20 extra dollars, so I'm going to take my kids for ice cream because yep. they need that. That's mm. part of being a child. Being, yeah, ab- absolutely. And, like, kids don't necessarily need to know all the ins and outs of mom or dad's financial security. So right. um, I think that's part of the the stigma, especially that parents deal with, It's how do you... How do you ask for help without creating a fear-based situation for your children? Right. Like, yeah, it should just be open and available without those. I mean, stigma is still the best word for it. Yeah. Um, You know, it should just be available and you shouldn't feel ashamed or belittled or, you know, have any sort of insecurities about asking for those things because, you know, we all need food to survive. Right. Um, It just seems like such a basic thing that people shouldn't feel ashamed to come and snag a pint of soup. Right. Right. Absolutely. So I think part of our goal is to have as little recording about people or information. Right. I think just coming as a a come as you are situation, especially to like our events and our food giveaways. We don't need any of that info. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, Yeah. If someone is in need, maybe I would prefer a one on one conversation as a friend with somebody. Right. Like if all right, if you're not hungry, but maybe you need help with something else, I think the confidentiality is still important. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it needs to be like written down anywhere 
And and that's it's like yeah, it's a personal privacy thing. You know, no one needs to know exactly what's going on, you know, behind your closed doors. But if you come and ask for that, like there shouldn't be no questions asked. Sure, why not? Right. Um, and I think you and I have had this conversation separately about charity, you know, institutionalized charity versus mutual aid and you know, how long have we had institutionalized charities and nonprofits in the country, you know, whether it's Red Cross or, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. And I think that there quite obviously is still a gap that isn't being met in these large institutionalized charities that are supposed to be doing everything by the books, which is good. But there's still a gap that is, you know, people are falling through. Right. And I think it's because there's rules and regulations when you are actually like a 501. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times some of the funding comes from institutions that might be relying on their giving practices as more of a tax shelter than actual, you know, well, yeah, you have gift the, of giving. Uh, um, what do they call it? The nonprofit industrial complex with a lot of the larger institutional nonprofits that are around. Um, right. Where they just become grant writing situations. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, when you are an actual like nonprofit and you are applying for grants, then sometimes the strings attached include, you know, if we're going to give you this food, we need to know all the information about the families for receiving the food, Mm -hmm. which I understand that. And I think, you know, how do you better serve a community if you can't gather demographics? Yeah, if you don't know about it. Exactly. And I, I think most people are pretty willing to give out some sort of information about their demographic situation. Yeah. As long as there's a privacy understanding and a confidentiality. Yes. But I think there also has to be a mutual respect that some people just will not, don't feel comfortable for giving that info. Right. And I think. What am I on a list now? Exactly. And I think that's part of the stigma that is, there's always probably going to be some hunger gap yes. that we cannot fill. And to that, I would say. There are tons of mutual aid networks across the country, across the globe even. And, you know, they're totally against collecting info. It's very, you know. Kind of their MO. Yeah. So I I think, you know, just have, but I didn't even know what a mutual aid group was until Blue Water Mutual Aid started. Like, I had no clue what that was. Yeah. What does that even look like? Like, what does that mean exactly? Right. I'm pretty sure, to be honest with you, I... Had I known what a mutual aid group was, I would have totally reached out. Like, right. you know, because when I did have food insecurity problems, it was, I was working over full-time hours and I had little kids that are in daycare. I didn't have time to go sit all day in a DHS line or, well, you know. I, Yeah, like then getting those assistance programs and things like that becomes a full-time job. It sure does. And it's just like, okay, like how am I supposed to take care of my kids? Uh, also you know, search and find a job or get a job Mm -hmm. and uh, also get the sustenance and like what I need to survive in the interim. Right. Like without, um, oh, you need to go stand in line there for, you know, six hours and then uh, we'll decide at that time if uh, you qualify or not. Well, and they don't decide at that time sometimes. Sometimes it's a waiting game even after. You get a letter in the mail three weeks later uh, and they're like, oh, you forgot this piece of paperwork or like, and you're like, well... Well, and to be fair, these social workers are overrun. I mean, you know, the last time I I needed any sort of help, you know, it it was actually probably about seven or eight years ago. I had to fill out paperwork and the social worker told me she had 700 clients. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? Like, Mm -hmm. that's not enough time. They're barely looking that you're only a number at that point. Right. Uh, And 
a lot of the institutionalized rules and regulations that they have to follow are they're really ridiculous. Like for an example, how many single parents out there are trying to get into income based housing, but they don't qualify because they actually have income being counted that they've never received. So one example is unpaid child support. Mom or dad is supposed to get a certain amount through friend of the court every month, Mm -hmm. but the other parent doesn't pay. Housing, when I when I was trying to apply for it, Mm -hmm. it looked like I was getting like an extra like twelve thousand or something a year. And it was child support that had never been paid to me ever well, it's like yeah ever, ever. why do i submit my bank account statements if like you can't look through that Ex- <laughs> well know? exactly like this person's never paid for their children just because there's a know? judgment doesn't mean that those things are actually happening exactly so you know those are hindrances in the system that for for whatever reason and unfortunately and this is men and women mm-hmm. you know whoever is supposed to pay the child support they don't always pay but right. it looks like an asset Exactly. You know. Well, you're like, well, you're supposed to be getting, like, where's this money going? And then you're like, well, are you accusing me of something yep. at this point? Or, like, you know, they want to know if you have a car note. Do you own your car flat out? Like, that's an asset, which is, okay, great. But so if I don't have my car, then I don't have a way to work. So it's just, it's a real convoluted, complicated mess that right. you muck through. And that's why it becomes, you know, another job to even seek help. Well, yeah, and like me personally, I think that that's where my my edge of uh, sustainable transportation systems and stuff come in, you know, with public transportation. If we had reliable tr- public transportation that you didn't have to have a car to be a productive member of society. Right. Where it's just like when you apply for a job, it says have reliable transportation. If you list the bus, like the person looking at the application is like, yeah, fuck off. Like that's not reliable. Right. And that's right. That's, that's true. Kind of the issue. You is tried that, to ride the bus on a Sunday. Yeah. There are no buses that run on yeah, Sunday. Good luck. And a cab costs you 40 bucks. You might as well not. You might as well call in because it's going to cost you your paycheck for the day. Yeah, exactly. To cab to like, am I just going to show up for that uh, specific time just to, you know, keep the job? At, but you know, drain my bank account to zero. Yeah. Financially, I, that doesn't seem like the best option. <laughs> and I know people who have moved from one situation, like a rural situation, to our area because we have a bus system or, you know, things are within walking distance, mm-hmm. but cannot find work because they don't have a car, which is crazy because not everybody can drive. Right. Not everybody can medically drive a car but well, they're okay to work yeah exactly and uh you know how i see it when i've ridden the blue water bus here locally it's a lot of like younger teenagers um surprisingly i, w- I had no idea i um, let my kids ride the bus yeah they all go back and forth to the uh, mall and stuff like that mm-hmm. which was cool i was happy to see younger folks on there but on top of that it's also a system that works for like the retired community the people which is perfectly okay and great but if we're making a system that is only usable by people who have unlimited free time to figure out how to ride the bus mm-hmm. and like don't have to worry about like i need to be to work at like 8 30 i need to do this i need to do this i need to do this you know yep. those things just become like a liability in your day and it's just like okay like i guess i'm just gonna pony up 300 bucks for a car <laughs> right well and that's the whole thing too like the bus schedule around here it's every 45 minutes well if i have to be to work at 8 30 I have to basically make sure that I am waiting for the bus by seven o'clock. Right. Well, what if my kids don't even get on the bus till quarter to eight? That's still, you know what I mean? Like with my car, I can just buzz around. Yep. Uh, but 
for families, I mean, it just shrinks your opportunity to be flexible in employment and just in life in general. You know, getting to doctor's offices. Right. Your kid gets home off the bus at 3.30, 4 o'clock, and the bank closes at 5. Like, your kids are left yeah, home or you, you just don't any, ever go. You don't have any options. There's Good no luck. options. Yeah, and I, I think that that's where, you know, it comes in where it's just like that should be an opportunity engine, not just like a latch-ditch effort to get around. You know what I mean? Right. Even if the buses came every half hour, yeah, the that's bu- a huge... The buses are like... I mean, for casual trips and things like that, it's amazing. The locally, the bus, I'm just like, like eighty mm-hmm. cents or like twenty six bucks or whatever it is for for a month. A month, yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is like just seems like such a deal. And I'm like, but it could be like just like small things can make it so much easier for folks to you know just jump on. I mean, the revenue stream. I feel like the transportation. I don't think the city has anything to to do not with necessarily. that. Necessarily, they have like an advocacy. Okay, um, but no, but it's not a. It's all county run. Gotcha. So the revenue stream, though, by shortening the length of time between buses, I think would be immense. Yeah. Because that's another reason, like, I don't always let my kids ride the bus, the older ones, you know, because, all right, well, mall closes at seven. The next bus, like, if they miss a bus, it's a big deal. Yeah, you're stranded. You're stranded. And you know, kids aren't great. But, like, if I would feel okay if they were waiting 15 minutes yeah. You know, I had that half an hour I went or whatever. To Target and I was just like, okay, I could make this a quick Target trip. And <laughs> right. <laughs> or I could like wait another 45 minutes and I was like, and I can find some more, something else to spend, which is also something I laugh about too is if you have people on the bus who don't exclusively need to ride the bus because they have no other options, but you have mm-hmm. people who ride the bus just because it's easy and convenient. Who's to say that I'm like, oh, I got another 45 minutes. I'm going to sit down and have a coffee at the corpse and, you know, wait for the next bus and right. hang out. You tend to spend more money when you have free time to wait for something, uh, right. which is another like economic driver for folks. But I'll get off my high horse. No, I, yeah, and I think too, yeah, it's kind of a high horse, but I also like, I grew up in a spot where like it was a half hour drive to town. Yeah. Like, so- there were no buses. Well, you feel isolated at that point. You're like, okay, I can ride my bike like up and down this country road, but yeah. Well, honestly, like I had a car. I saved up and had a car before I had my license mm-hmm. because I knew, like, it was a pain in the butt for my parents to take me to and from work on Saturday and Sunday, a half an hour away. Like they'd drive me mm-hmm. and then have to come back, and that's annoying. And then freedom to just go to the mall. The mall was, you know. 45 minutes away and that's so i've i've been conditioned to need a car for independence and that is that's the main thing is if you cannot have reliable transportation then you do not have full independence right constantly relying at the mercy of whatever it is exactly oh i need a friend to pick me up from here or like oh i need to you know that was one of the things growing up where i was just like this just seems like way too much work to try and figure out the carpool situation and who's taking who where and like Mm -hmm. are we going to leave a car down there or it's just like can like we could save so much brain power and effort um and same with like children's independence and stuff it's just like do they do parents like chauffeuring their kids around because growing up with my sister in you know the Plymouth Canton area which is like suburban haven mm-hmm. um you know she had to drive 20 minutes to take her kid well I drove 20 minutes a lot of, for two years to take my nephew to flag football practice because it was in a gigantic complex uh, on Michigan Avenue which was like a nice complex but it was 25 minutes you know there 25 minutes back mm-hmm. um, so there goes a ha- you know an hour of your day basically right. just commuting and it's like 
is that independence? Like having hours taken out of your day just to take your kid to and from practice? Right. And it's like that becomes your entire day. It's just chauffeur. You become a personal chauffeur for your family. And it's like. You're, you're talking to the choir. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and like that. And, and, and that's like my big thing about all that type of, you know, active transportation BS that I always yell about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy the ability to take my kids places don't get me wrong like being able to do it but i have had to work hard and i'll tell you what if it was six years ago my life before it is now Mm -hmm. like that was that was a no it's a huge stressor and then it feels like you're letting your kids down because you're like oh well like no you can't go see your friends because like i have to work tomorrow morning and like i can't come pick you up at nine o'clock at night or the cost of just that extra gas i mean my kids used to play when i lived in marysville um I was in a income-based housing. Yeah. It was still expensive. Right. It's fine. Um, but at that time, I was working 45 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I had a good job. I worked really hard to get into that position. I drove to Auburn Hills every day. Mm-hmm. And my kids lived in daycare. But yeah. somehow, I was still able to put the older ones in cheer and basketball. Where was it? Wow. It was in St. Clair. So... Twice a week, we went to St. Clair, one for practice, and then a game. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I did it. And and still, working all, like, having a good job, just a daycare, the cost of gas, mm-hmm. even when it was, you know, $2 a gallon. Exactly. It's expensive. It adds up. It all adds up. And if I could spend 26 bucks a month on a bus ticket that I know I could, like. Well, you could have, you could, you could ostensibly spend the same amount you do in a car but have full independence for each one of your children for 26 bucks a month for each of those right. passes. And I mean at the time they were they were yeah, very little, little but now now I'm having teenagers. Mm-hmm. And frankly, knowing I'd rather them be on a bus with an adult in charge and video cameras than trying to ride their bike down Craft Road. Good luck like, with that. Yeah, exactly. Like my kids probably aren't going to die on a bus. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's but sending them out I don't let them ride their bikes. They can walk through people's yards. Yeah. But don't ride your bike down there. Yeah. You're you're taking your life in your own hands. We've seen enough of the, uh, you know, the old country road. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it seems like at least once a year, there's someone who passes away due to, like, a vehicular accident out on some country road. And it's like, they're both young and old, you know, walking and biking, you know? It, it's just like, yeah. what do we do to protect those folks? Yeah. And- I think uh, as a choice, uh, some people choose to live in the township because it's less expensive than living in town, Mm -hmm. uh, especially for like homeowners. But even the buses do go out there. There are transit buses that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can give them a call. Yeah, dial a ride. Yeah. Which is insane that we do that. It's awesome. Yes. So we're on the right track. I think we just need to close the gap, the time. Between buses. Yeah, your headways, I yep. think is what those are called. Run, I mean, if you can run them, even if you have like a one circular bus that makes a an overnight run, mm-hmm. you know. I maybe. know I get a lot of people that tell me, they're like, I'd love to take the bus to and from work, but, you know, they stop at 11 o'clock at night and I work, you know, third nights. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a whole other thing, too. Uh, extended hours. I I think we have the foundation in place for yeah, that. Well, th- just the fact that we have a functioning bus system in a town of 30,000 people with, you know, greater in the greater Port Huron area mm-hmm. is like, that's a huge foundation to have. Um, and it's only 
getting better from there if uh, the right moves are made. Right. But we've got know, on a yeah, way we, high yeah, horse. Got, yeah, here. we got on a tangent for That's sure. All right. There. Um, anyway, I think we did feel like we got through a couple things. Yeah, so we talked about mutual aid and yeah. the difference between charities and things like that. Yep, hurdles and requirements. We kind of talked about that. Um, I do think uh, so. <laughs> here's the other thing too. You you had mentioned. I guess this is a, a starting point for like not necessarily not necessarily a stigma, mm-hmm. but um something to alleviate some of the the pride issues that might come with reaching out for help. But how can we make our garden into somewhere that's you don't know that person's uh stability level, let's say. Yep. So part of this community garden is you walk in. You can work, you can grab some food, whatever you want to do, hang out. Right. I like that you asked, how do we put a pumpkin patch in the neighborhood? Why? Because so many times I haven't had the money to take my kids to a pumpkin patch. Right. Uh, and if you can't get a bus to the pumpkin patch, your kids are you missing out. You want to have that weird conversation where all your family gets on the bus. I mean, like, that would be cool. I'd love to see, like, people with pumpkins in the bus. Right. But, but the reality is I don't see a bus going out to Goodles. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of families do it. So how do we put a pumpkin patch in the neighborhood? Heather was talking about in the garden having trellises yep. with mini watermelons. Yeah. Do it with the pumpkins. Exactly. That would be really cool. My thought was, well, uh, I'll spill a little bit of... Uh, here on Lightship Neighborhood Gossip, Ooh, yeah. we are, uh, me personally, I was thinking about planting in my little right-of-way strip of grass, doing just a pumpkin patch, just throwing a bunch of, I mean, I planted clover out there as well, but I'm going to just toss some pumpkin seeds out there, get some pumpkins started, and just see what happens over the winter or over the summer. I would definitely, because this accidentally happened to me, Okay, pumpkins with squash, mm-hmm. and I thought I had dead i i planted a bunch of stuff last year like indoors to get started mm-hmm. well i started too early okay and i got a billion plants that they they outgrew their containers mm. so they died and then i threw them out i was messing around outside so i threw the dirt in the driveway yeah and i had squash like vines six foot vines oh my god so go up i would put maybe some trellises there or you could do like the. I was planning hoops. on putting a little, like this. I have like a small, like three foot fence out in front of our uh, yard yeah. that's just a little stake in fence. And that's what we were planning on doing, maybe to keep them keep a little them bit more in tan. Yeah, corralled. Yeah. I think, I think it'd be funny as hell to have like just overflowing pumpkins if it, if it actually happened. That would be good. And I, the reason I was thinking like maybe pie pumpkins, because you know and I know that. I know that I like to do things when I was younger that mm-hmm. were not necessarily logical. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if anyone's going to be smashing or throwing anything, a pie pumpkin's a lot better than a big old, you know. Honking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, if you do have people walking around, they're easier to carry right. than a giant yeah, pumpkin. Take it back to your house with you. And pie pumpkins are great because uh, what I do, mm-hmm. I do buy pie pumpkins. We decorate them. And then we make pie yeah, or soup or whatever. I roasted up all the seeds last year from our uh, pumpkins. And I did a, I made my own chili powder. Did like a curried chili uh, Ooh, pumpkin sounds, seeds. And it was, it was really That good. sounds really good. I just made, I made like a salt and pepper one and then the curried one. And like the curried ones, like Alexandra and I ate those immediately. And then the 
salt and pepper ones just stayed in the thing where like we should have made all curried pumpkin seeds. That sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on, I guess. Uh, that was a really clean segue um, into other happenings that are going on on the south side of Port Huron. Um, the South Side Spring Fest, I think that's put on by Community Mental Health CMH in town. It's Saturday, April 23rd of this year. I think they're doing like 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yep at the uh it seems like they're gonna have it at the cmh building or like complex yeah that i mean there's like they've got two really big uh parking lots there so i'm pretty sure it'll be outside weather permitted i'm hoping or they'll have tents but it looks like uh yeah they're gonna have um like the health department will be out there they're gonna do like free health screenings and vaccines i have covid resources um, cooking demos and, and uh, also like community foundation, the YMCA, Port Huron's Black Lives Matters will be out there, the uh, NAACP um, score group and the diversity initiative. So it's I would definitely say like South Side agenda situation. That's one thing about Port Huron. If you're not from around here, South Side is almost like its own separate entity. entity. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it is. Um, it's very family friendly. It's a diverse neighborhood and it gets a bad rap, but I, I love it down there. It's beautiful. And I like that. I know, um, that I can like, I don't know, this is for me, this seems like a really fun way to get the kids vaccinated. Right. <laughs> because exactly. my like, kids, oh, it's, let's go to a carnival. Yeah. And then we'll get you some shots and then you <laughs> probably will get a hot dog. It's fine. Right. But yeah. Um, so this is like a, to me, these types of events are totally perfect for for any family because it's convenient um it's a wide enough gap where you know it's a you walk in and out it's a free event Mm -hmm. and there's awesome things like housing info legal aid uh utility assistance um i think they're gonna do food giveaways yeah drawings and things like that yeah Um, a a lot of this stuff uh is part of that full-time job of asking for help like this is centralized it's all here and it's fun yeah. and and uh you don't go have have to go digging through resource websites and contact information and things yep. like that so i think that doing more things like this is where you bring all those resources together inside of uh you know what one might call a cell side uh spring fest yeah <laughs> absolutely and they should do it i i would love to see more of this like do it in the fall too mm-hmm. just because you know that way it's not just one opportunity per year so I'm I'm excited. I think this would be cool to do downtown or even on the north end as well. Yeah, exactly. There, you know, uh, bring it back into people's neighborhoods. Right. Uh, that's what people seem to. I mean, it's convenient. That that's kind of at the heart of everything. Is if it's convenient, um, you know, we we've seen all the apps and technology companies find that convenience is a really great way to get people to start doing things. Yeah. Um, so if your food is convenient, if your uh, community services are convenient, if your transportation systems are convenient, people will use them. Yes, absolutely. And and actually, one thing I want to point out about Southside, the neighborhood wants to rock and roll. Like, they, I think Southside Spring Fest is going to be huge. There's going to be a great turnout. They, um, I've been over there, and I may have mentioned this before, but they, um, on the National Neighbors Night Out or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's definitely different in these neighborhoods where you live, Tyler. Like, I lived right in River Park, and it yeah. was, like, it was real nice and polite. Southside, 
it's all about the kids. Yeah. They had bike giveaways. They had firefighters out there. Like you could get on the fire trucks and go look at an ambulance. Um, and it was really cool. They had a, a booth where you could register your children. So like if the worst should happen and they go missing, right. they're in this registry. They they have all the information. Um, yeah, and just like all kinds of like the very same resources that'll be at Springfest. Um, they made that. It's basically that that sort of thing's been happening for years down there, and the community really engages. So right, and uh, you know, I've I've tried to throw myself a, a number of block parties around town as well, and um, National Night Out is like a nationwide thing. I think that's hosted by like the state police departments typically, um, where they shut down the roads and do like a combined effort and things like that. But um, in terms of like culture building and like community building, like my neighborhood wanted to have our own thing. Um, and that's kind of uh, what we hope to do because, you know, we we want to get to know our neighbors uh, in our own context and mm-hmm. figure out, uh, you know, what we want to do as a neighborhood. And I think that we are planning some pretty fun uh, lightship neighborhood uh, extravaganzas this, uh, this coming summer as well. So that should be fun. Awesome. Um, I guess we'll give a brief shout out to... Um, Mr. Joe Bixler on the uh, Southside Initiatives board. Um, he recently had a um, an opinion piece in the Times Herald about uh, the city's hopeful developments of the Southside um, in Port Huron. They purchased a vacant lot that I think has sat as a parking lot for quite some time. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I think. So the history of that is it was River District Grocery Store, um, and it burnt down, I believe, 10 or 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. My oldest was a baby. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that that is another thing to look at, which, um, you know, famously and wonderfully, we the city of Port Huron now has a grocery store within its city limits here um, downtown. Uh, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other thing to point out as well, um, in, in the South side, there has been a conceded effort for, you know, what seems to be 10 years now to get another grocery store opened up back down there. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now, uh, they have to go all the way to Marysville or if they have to traverse the, uh, viaduct underneath, uh, 24th street and yeah. the train bridge there. Yep. Um, so I think, you know, pushing for those sorts of things is is super important because the city of Port Huron at one point, I think, supported five or six independent grocery stores. So there's no reason why, um, you know, we can't bring neighborhood grocery stores back that are, you know, to scale and actually serve the neighborhoods that they're in. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and a lot of the argument has been that, well, there's a Kroger there or they can, yeah, they can go. But the re- the reality is like, that's a really long walk. And if you have limited mobility, limited transportation. Like if you're not going to a Kroger on a Sunday, if you don't have a way to go there. So. And good luck walking through the pedestrian amenities underneath that viaduct. Um, because I don't even think that it's ADA compliant because you kind of just roll on some padded dirt. Um, yeah. That, I, that whole viaduct actually probably should, it's in desperate need of repair. Yeah. I've walked under it a few times myself, yeah, and I'm like, you don't I feel don't. particularly safe under there. No, uh, or like something that's you know you feel 
Like you could bring a handful of groceries to and from the store. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a long walk to to carry more than two bags. Yeah. Well, something that's a little bit more fresh than, you know, Doritos and Fritos, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And Dollar General is right in South Park. But again, that's a limited. There's very little fresh in there. Yeah. Gallon of milk, maybe some eggs. But as far as produce, they don't have a produce section. Yeah. Actually, um, it might be interesting to reach out to the Southside Initiative, too, and have them talk about... Um, their efforts for grocery stores because i know that you know they regularly go and make comments and mm -hmm. things like that about uh about the needs of south park so it'd be interesting to hear from them and the neighbors in that neighborhood uh, yeah we should reach out and uh invite them on for next show or you know sometime in the future yeah absolutely and a little bit about joe just so everyone knows he's he's been with us since day one uh he's a big mentor and yeah, he's our he's our guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he were he was uh um he had his tenure at MSU yep. um and he just recently retired and that's how he started the Southside Initiative and the Thumb Food Policy Council. Yep. Right? Thumb Food Policy Council was from what I understand just a, a more or less a project that was not it was an educational module, let's yeah. say. And now it's it's come to fruition, so that's yeah. exciting. It's very exciting. Um, so lots of things happening uh, on our end of town here, um, and we will keep everyone informed as we move forward and find out any new exciting developments with our community garden and uh, things that are going on there. Uh, yeah, so um, you know, thank everyone for listening. Uh, you know, we went on a couple tangents here. Uh, we've been talking for like 40 minutes or so, so it's probably time to wrap things up. But to just give a recap of the episode, you know, we talked about the stigmas around asking for help or, mm -hmm. you know, getting uh, help from people um, or accepting help, uh, not just donating as well is another important part. Right. I think uh, it was good to kind of talk about charity versus mutual aid. Um because it, it's another option. It's another outlet uh, resource. I feel like we're, we attempt to straddle that fence almost. Um, being a more grassroots organization so far, you know, I think that there is like a nice in-between, a healthy balance that we can try and manage. Absolutely. And we chit-chatted about, you know, independent transportation options, uh, especially in urban areas like Port Huron. Uh, don't forget about the Southside Spring Fest, April 23rd, Yep. 10 a.m. to 3, all sorts of community resources will be going out there and we'll just give one last shout out to our boy joey joey bixler <laughs> you know number one in our hearts uh we love you thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> i i do joe is just if you guys know joe give him a hug we'll bring him on he he sounds just like a big jolly guy uh you you guys will love to hear him he's kind of like santa he Quite literally is kind of like Santa. You're right. <laughs> so everyone, make sure that you leave a review of the podcast. I don't think that we've gotten enough uh, five-star reviews for it to even register. So this is your call to action currently. Um, you know, pause the episode right now. And then now that you're back, um, thank you for leaving us that rating and review, five stars. Um, and if you actually left it, we'll read it on the next episode. Yep. Um and we'll uh, take your constructive criticism. Make sure you recommend the podcast to your friends and family, uh, anyone that you think might be interested. Yep. Uh, I would also say, like, go ahead and visit our website, join our mailing list. Uh, we do updates on what's going on 
We have links to resources and also you can uh, check out teasers for the next episodes coming up. Also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. I think we're working on on Instagram. Instagram. Uh, We started a TikTok account, um, but we're working on uh, figuring out what the hell to post over there. I'm still trying to figure out what to post personally. So I don't know anything about it. It's baby steps. It's baby steps, everybody. Um, We'll figure it out. (laughs) Seed and Soul Society is a member-supported organization to donate. Just head on over to our website, s3ph.com. And if you have any uh, direct comments or concerns that you would like to take up with us personally, uh, here the podcast crew, Shannon and Tyler, email us at earthworkpod at gmail.com and uh, we can duke it out over email um, we can bring it up on the show if need be so thank you so much everyone for listening uh, I'm Tyler Moldovan I'm Shannon Renard take care <laughs>